to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Good news, bad news. Bad news first. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. Good news. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. At the Money Nerve Academy, we hold space to explore, navigate, discover, and heal your relationship with money. With our online course, Mastering the Emotions of Money, you can get in touch with your fears, blocks, and beliefs around money so that you can become more aware of your current financial story. By understanding why you do what you do with your money, you can create a different ending to your financial story than the one currently taking place. Check out themoneynerve.com and start mastering your emotions of money. I'm super delighted with our next guest. She's the author of Have Yourself a Minimalist Christmas and the mother of two messy but wonderful little girls who were her catalyst for seeking an intentional and minimalistic life. She and her husband have set an ambitious goal to achieve financial independence and retire early, which is called FIRE, before he turns 40, which is in less than two years, or we get the exact count in a moment. Uh, Between navigating the clutter that comes with parenthood and this goal to retire early, Frugality and sustainability have become guiding principles in her everyday life, along with a minimalist lifestyle. She's learned that less truly is more. A former journalist, editor, and digital marketer, she is now a full-time mother who writes, blogs, and speaks about minimalism and frugalism, philosophies that have afforded her the luxury of time and freedom to explore things that matter most to them. I am so excited to have Meg Nordman as our guest. Meg, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm super excited that um, minimalism and frugalism are part of your vocabulary because a lot of people think that's a dirty word. <laughs> and I, I, I'm very, I think I'm pretty frugal. Some people call me cheap. So, uh, like, how did you get there? Like, and how did you decide that with your husband? Like, how did the two of you decide this common goal? And and now you're on this path. I have to give him a lot of credit for really taking the reins and leading the way. Okay. So when we got back together, we've got a crazy long romance story. But this last time around, about six years ago, we got back together and he had just come back from being a surfing nomad all around the globe during our, you know, breakup period here. We're talking about several years. (laughs) (laughs) He had to surf it off. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he came back and moved in with me with two surfboards, maybe two pairs of swim trunks, two flip-flops, and five t-shirts. Wow. I think he had some speakers and some guitars, and that was it. I mean, that was literally all he owned. So he had already shed a house full of material items. And then he moved in with me and I had this apartment packed. I really had never decluttered in my life. That was not a word I even knew about or a concept. I I came from a household, a family that also never, ever let go of anything. And they still do not. (laughs) I'm hoping maybe they'll read my book and be inspired. But um, it was just not a part of my upbringing at all. And we also grew up very poor. And I think that plays a part into holding on to items. And uh, I picked up Marie Kondo's book, The Life-Changing Art of Tidying Up, which, you know, it's a big bestseller. I think it came out in 2010. Yeah, I think I'm on chapter and, uh, two. <laughs> <laughs> two years later. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and um, anyway, it was just the very first time that it had ever occurred to me to get rid of something. And so I started to let things go and I thought I did a good job. But we ended up moving. I was out in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the time, uh, working for tech startups. And we moved out here to St. Augustine, Florida. And after my decluttering, I still had an SUV full, a huge trailer full. And then we had to rent a U-Haul truck because we thought we could get everything on the trailer. We couldn't. So we got a U-Haul truck. And even then I had to leave stuff on the sidewalk. I remember like a perfectly good vacuum cleaner sitting on the sidewalk because we couldn't fit it in. So that, you know, that was my first round of decluttering and I still had that much stuff. So we moved to St. Augustine and we moved into a 750 square foot little beach cottage with little 1960s miniature closets. So no storage. And I had to declutter further Mm. And really start whittling it down because we couldn't fit it all in the house. Yeah. And even still, I crammed things under beds. I had them put up more shelves in the closet so I could stack things up. Um, and I was, when we moved here, I was pregnant, like eight months pregnant. And then I had my first child and she started walking early. And as soon as she started walking and strewing toys about, that was when I really took a look at what my husband did because he was like, hey, I don't own anything. Right. <laughs> this is all your stuff. Your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it finally occurred to me as I was just picking things up over and over and spending my life cleaning, not being present with my kid, not playing my oboe, not making art or writing, uh, that more, I, if I just had less stuff, I would have more time. Yeah. And I was, it sounds so simple, but it was a huge aha moment for me. And I finally started really evaluating why I was holding on to things. And it was a, a deep psychological dig, yeah. <laughs> you know, asking deeper and deeper questions. And I started getting rid of things. Uh, and so to back up a, a little bit and how that ties in with our financial independence journey and frugality, also when we were in Albuquerque, we, we sat down and took a look at our finances and figured out where our debts were. And, and, and this will all tie together, I promise. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all good. I it's believe like you. T- two different paths have to converge. Um, but we, we took a look at our debt and found the ones with the highest interest. Mm-hmm. And we tackled those first. Yep. Got rid of my nice new car with the car payment, mm-hmm. sold it, got a used Toyota 4Runner. Mm-hmm for $4,000 in cash. I got rid of the car payment Mm -hmm. and we just chiseled away. We lived off of his income as a mechanic and all of my income as a digital marketer. uh, I was a VP of marketing at a tech startup. All of that went towards debt. And he said something to me that finally changed things around for me. He said, yeah, I was so excited about my first paycheck from this company. I'd, I'd gone from one tech startup to another and I was making good money. And he said, well, that's not your money. Like, what, what do you mean this isn't my money? You know, he was just shattering my bubble. I was yeah. so excited. And he was like, well, that money belongs to Bank of America and that money belongs to Toyota and that money belongs to the school loan. <laughs> and it finally occurred to me that this was not my money. This paycheck didn't belong to me. Right. And man, it was like a big slap across the face that I needed. Yeah. And so that was when I got serious. We also sat down and wrote on a piece of paper our short-term and our long-term goals Correct. and created that same vision. Yeah. And the vision was 
we're going to live in a tree house in Nicaragua or Costa Rica. Cool. <laughs> we're just going to have this, you know, Swiss family Robinson lifestyle in the jungle. Nice. And and I was so on board. He proposed to me in Nicaragua. He took me out there. He gave me the the fever, the bug. You know, yeah. <laughs> literally, that was his proposal. Like, do you want more of this? Marry me, and I'll give you this. You know? <laughs> Come to the dark so, side. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on board. I wanted the vacation for life. Yeah. Um, and so it really became a, a really strong shared goal. Cool. And um, so we we knocked those things out. We got debt free right before the move, and. We were barely in the green. I mean, he broke his ankle a week before the move, so he couldn't start the new job. Uh, And we were coasting on my brand new freelance (laughs) job. I mean, just barely making rent. And we had $200 in the bank. And so this is all about five years ago. Things have compounded really quickly. Um, And part of the debt that we paid off was his house that he owned in another state. And had turned into a long-term rental. And so that was really during that freaky period where he couldn't work and I was barely bringing in some freelance contract work. We had that long-term rental paycheck coming in basically. And so just getting rid of that mortgage debt was fantastic. And that it's amazing. It's not a very expensive rental. It's a very cheap rental in Alabama. Yeah, (laughs) But that one little check eventually created a savings because we became increasingly more frugal. And then we had a pretty hefty down payment to put on a beach condo Mm -hmm. down here, which we turned into a short-term rental once we realized the ROI was much, much higher to do it that way. Right. And that has been fantastic. And as of today, we got the email that we're ready to close in the next couple of days on a second little short-term rental beach cottage. That's awesome. And that will be our last one. We've decided we're... um, cutting it there, but it's all stacked very quickly in a matter of five to six years yeah. uh, to get to this point where <laughs> we're now minimalists creating some passive income. Oh, that's, so. that's awesome. Let me ask you this. Uh, for people that read your book or people that read the, the tidying up and letting go, uh, what's like you did a deep, a deep dive into like holding on and I can feel the anxiety of starting to let go of stuff. I'm like, ah, which is why I've only gotten to chapter two. Um, what would you tell people like how to, what do they need to push through? And what do you, what, like, what was your fear? Like, I mean, I know there's probably a lot of it and it's, we could probably talk about it for hours, but like, like what was the basic takeaway of like, Oh, I'm afraid I'm gonna. Right. Well, I will say, Marie Kondo just scratches the surface for me when she says that you should hold an item and ask, does this spark joy? Because that initial decluttering round was after I read her book and I was able to get rid of things that didn't obviously spark joy. Right. But I obviously thought like three (laughs) truckloads, trailer fulls of things still spark joy for me. Vacuum cleaners Um, don't spark joy? The vacuum cleaner you left on the side of the road, it didn't spark joy. It didn't make the cut, you know, in the final hours, it did not make the cut. But um, yeah, so when when I really started digging deeper and I ended up reading and listening to an audiobook, probably 30 books on minimalism. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. And I started finding more questions that I could ask myself mm-hmm. and... One of the things, of course, is sunk cost bias. Mm -hmm. 
So that was a big thing that held me back was I've spent money on this. I can't give it away. Right. You know, I can't get rid of it. I've spent a hundred dollars on this dress. Right. And that for some reason deemed it worthy to stay in my closet forever. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. That sunk cost bias. And so that was a huge thing for me to realize. Um, related to that, when I did start trying to sell a lot of these items on marketplace and, and other, you know, Craigslist, eBay, things like that. And I could not sell them to save my life. Right. Or eventually got to the point where I lowered it to where I was practically giving it away. And so I, I realized I was attaching value to things that really didn't have value. It didn't matter if I'd spent $100 on it th- this month or 10 years ago. It was not worth $100 if no one else thought it was worth $100. Right. Only I did. Right. At the moment of purchase. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's right. now worth $5 <laughs> on Marketplace. Right. So um, that was a huge eye opening thing for me because, and it let me start releasing things. Once I couldn't sell stuff, then I was like, okay, none of this stuff is actually that valuable. Right. And so that shifted and it also kept me from buying more things. Right. Because I was. So another thing, I was gifted a lot of stuff. And of course, my book on Minimalist Christmas, um, it, it addresses this a lot. So we're gift a lot, gifted a lot of things and we feel guilty, like a self-imposed guilt that we can't ever give this item away. That's right. It's got to stay on the mantle. Yeah. Right. Because Aunt Susie gave it to me. That's and right. this is like disrespectful to Aunt Susie if I don't hold on to this forever and ever. And so in a lifetime, you can accumulate a lot of, a lot gifts. of stuff. And since I was one of these people that just never got rid of anything, I had every gift anyone had ever given me. And then there's also heirlooms, things that, and not that I have a whole, whole lot of that, but I did have some things that my mom gave me. She's a, I'm going to say an antique hoarder. Okay. And so she gifted very beautiful antiques every Christmas of my life. Um, but because they were antiques, I felt like I had to now hold on to them forever. They had right. survived 110 years in mint condition with the box, you know? Don't let man <laughs> ruin I, it. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't be the one to ruin that. Yeah. Um, I have to now take care of it forever. And, and um, so anyway, there was a lot of this realization of why I was feeling guilty. Of I had to hold on to the antique. I had to hold on to the heirloom. I had to hold on to the gift. So once I realized that was the reason... and. It, that by getting rid of the gift, I wasn't getting rid of the memory. I still remember Aunt Susie. Right. I still remember the wonderful times we shared or even that same beautiful Christmas she gave me this thing. Yeah. By getting rid of it, it doesn't get rid of her or the memory. Right. You know? Uh, and then, you know, things, maybe if there wasn't a memory attached, the sentiment is not lost. I know that that person gave it to me because they loved me and they were trying to show love. Right. They were trying to show gratitude, you know? So I don't have to keep it. And that was just mind blowing to me. Yeah. Uh, I know some people, they understand this inherently, but it was earth shattering stuff for me. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. No, absolutely. Well, and I, I wonder how much you said you grew up poor and I know in my family, we didn't have a lot. I mean, my mom pretended like we did, but we didn't. Mm-hmm. And there is something I think about that scarcity of, of ah, ah, you know, yeah. got to hold on yeah, to the, it. The scarcity mindset. Yeah. I mean, we, we really had nothing. We lived in an old 1911 farmhouse that we basically found in the woods. And it was covered in vines, had bats living inside, no oh. electricity, no plumbing. 
my family negotiated it for a very low five figures. And even that had to be financed because we didn't have even the money for that amazing deal. Um, But it was really one of those houses most people will look at and think it's ready to be bulldozed. This is unsalvageable. Right, right. (laughs) And uh, we moved into that when I was about five years old. Um, we'd lived like in the ghetto under an interstate in Mobile, Alabama before that. Wow. And, um, and I remember peeing out in the woods because there was not plumbing yet. And my dad did it all. You know, he plumbed it. He did the electricity. We had some family members and friends come and help. And we had no money to pay for any renovations, any contractors. Right. So my entire life revolved around them working on this house wow. and making it into something. So even our furniture, I remember salvaging from other old abandoned houses in the woods. Yeah. And so my mom would get so excited. She'd find an old abandoned house and they look this great old rocker on the porch. <laughs> <laughs> so oh yeah, I hope I don't get her into any trouble. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, um, it, we were definitely in this scarcity mindset. It was a wonderful childhood. Lovely. I just yeah. grew up in the woods, climbing trees and, Fun. playing in the woods, but I never saw them get rid of anything right. because, you know, we couldn't just go out and replace things. Right. And so I know minimalism can get some flack from people mm-hmm. to think that this comes from a very privileged place Right. to say, you know, you don't need to have uh, five boxes of extra Q-tips in the bathroom because it's just cluttering up your bathroom and taking up more space. And so just go ahead and get rid of it and live with your one box. And when you run out, go buy another. Well, that is a very privileged place to come from, Yeah, you know, and when you, when you don't have a lot of funds coming in and you've grown up in a place where you knew that you couldn't just go out and buy more, yeah, uh, it's very hard. And, and I still struggle with that myself especially with like pantry items and bathroom items, wanting to keep a stock going with the inventory. But I have learned that you truly do the, the cost of your time and the cost of your, the stress level is far more important. You know, Mm -hmm. once you get rid of all this excess, you actually know what you have. Because the problem is if you have five boxes of Q-tips it's so buried under the 20 boxes of everything else that you don't even know you have it. So then you're at CVS and you see there's a sale and you buy another box of Q-tips just for some random example here. But uh, it ends up costing you more because you don't know what you have. That's so funny. I'm (laughs) laughing because I keep a pantry full of food for a couple months worth of food. Um, Mm -hmm. That's always been my security is when I get a big check, I fill up the cupboards and I have all this stuff. But recently, I've bought three jars of chopped garlic because I didn't think I had it. And then I go home and then I find the spot and I went, oh, there's two more jars. Exactly. <laughs> so I've been doing that. <laughs> I have to declutter everything. Uh, even my pantry. Uh. I know. I, honestly, our pantry is getting out of control right now. And my husband jokingly or maybe not jokingly it was like well if there's another shutdown another lockdown we're going to be fine for a few months <laughs> like we've got an abundance <laughs> that's funny well it is a little bit of a crazy time at the moment so i guess there's a little forgiveness yeah. there if we slightly overstock but I, I i but no i hear you i have double triple bought things because <laughs> they were buried <laughs> yeah 
But the main thing is like all the other stuff is once you, once you get rid of the excess and you're not managing it because you have to clean everything. Right. And everything is taking up rent, whether you're paying rent or a mortgage, it, it, there's a cost to the right. amount of space it's taking in your closet, in your attic, in your floor space. I mean, everything is costing you money and your attention and your time. So that was, that was the big takeaway for me was once I realized like, oh, <laughs> I just, one, get rid of everything, mm-hmm. all of, all of this excess, I'll stop buying so much. Yeah because I'll know what I have and I'll know that it's not bringing any extra value. And right. two, I won't have to manage it and clean it and haul it whenever I need to move somewhere else. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? like, and the mental bandwidth everything takes, you don't even realize it's sub- sub- subconscious. Yeah. You know. And do you and your husband like once a week talk about stuff? You do it every six months. Do you, how often, because if you're going to be intentional and conscious about this stuff, you have to have a meeting of the minds, I would imagine. Yeah. This is going to sound crazy, but we talk about it every day. Now it doesn't sound crazy to me, but (laughs) uh, yeah. I mean, as far as uh, achieving our goal, we have it handwritten on our calendar, the countdown. We're at 288 days away from declaring ourselves officially uh, financially independent and retiring early. How do you know uh, when you got there? How, like how, like when you get to that date, what is your uh, proof or your, like, how hmm. do you know that like, oh, we're here? You know, I wish I had a, a, if my husband were on, man, he could give you a solid answer to that because he's the one who runs the numbers. Okay. And, and this is all based off of a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm you know, that he's created. And it's basically the way I look at it. And it may not be the way most people look at it in the FI world, the financially independent world. I look at it not as a net worth thing, but as what is the passive income coming in each month. And so we don't need a whole lot of passive income to survive and live a nice life. Um, You might be surprised at this, but we live a very luxurious life, I think, yeah. at $20,000 a year. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> you, you meant a month. You meant a month. No, I, I hear you. Wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with... Uh, uh, well, I'll sure you are. Mr. Money Mustache, mm-hmm. the blogger. Yeah. Uh, I think he does something similar. Maybe it's like thirty or 40000 a year. Um but yeah, we just discovered him maybe a year and a half ago. We're like, oh, he's just like us. He's just know? like us. <laughs> we found our people. Um, but yeah, so we have really, and it's gone down. You know, it didn't used to be twenty thousand thousand dollars a year, but it's gone down every year because right. we just keep whittling away um, at excess and and really looking at things differently and finding more frugal ways to go about stuff and we're becoming increasingly hippie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's laughable to us. Like we sit back and laugh at ourselves. Like, man, I never thought we would be the person who makes our own deodorant and our own laundry detergent and our right. own peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, over the years, we just keep finding, like, Oh gosh, that's, that's all there is to it. You just mix these two ingredients together and you have, how did they sell that to us for $20 a jug? You know, right. Right. <laughs> it costs us a dollar to make. Um, so, uh, so we, we seem like hippies, uh, though I don't feel like we are, but, um, that's what I mean by things have become more sustainable. Mm-hmm. 
closer and closer to zero waste. I don't think zero waste is completely achievable, but yeah. shooting for it certainly helps. And um, in in these ways, we've cut back our spending. Mm-hmm. And so we are saving about 75% of our income, which is, yeah, yeah. So we could live a more lavish life, but we actually feel like, gosh, we, we live on the beach. Right. <laughs> life can, is pretty good. Ride, we live on an island. We ride our bikes around. We've got a garden. Um, what else could you want here? <laughs> life is life is good. Life is good. Life is really good. How do, let me ask you this. In, in terms of like a lot of people, their goal is get rich, right? And your goal is financial freedom. And mm-hmm. uh, some people would go, well, that's the same thing. But I think they're different. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's what is enough? You know, what is enough to buy your freedom? And the first thing you have to do is figure out, well, what do you need month to month to live by? So to kind of go back to the last question too. Right now, we only need, you know... $2,000 max would be a, is a very luxurious life to us. We plan to move to Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, something like that, where the dollar will go further and do geo-arbitrage. So we may even need less than that, but we're still going to, okay, let's just try to get 2000 a month is great. Well, once you realize, sorry, <laughs> sorry if I, my, my thoughts seem scattered. When you realize that a single vacation rental can bring in a month, $2,500 on a very low season, then you are set. set. (laughs) That's how we feel. All that extra, anything past $2,000, then we can just put in index funds, which is our strategy. After the real estate passive income, anything extra, just put it into some stocks, something that has really good potential for growth and a lot of index funds for less risk. Mm -hmm. And then it just keeps building. But what the key is, is what's enough? Well, $2,000 a month is enough for us. It might right. be $10,000 a month for someone else. Right. But for us, that's enough. And once we figured that out, everything just kind of went faster and we've got more than enough at this point. Um, we're also stopping after this last rental that we should close on this week. Because why, you know, sure we could, um, you know, leverage it and get more. There's plenty of people on all these other finance websites and podcasts that we listen to that say they've got 20 units, 20 doors, you know, and I'm like, I, we don't have that goal. I don't want to be, it's a lot of you work. know, a, yeah, I don't, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's just, you know, then there's a lot of leveraging and over leveraging for, for me and my taste and yeah. uh, the stress of that. And why would I need that level of income when really my goal is just happiness? I just want to be on a hammock with my little treehouse, cabana, bungalow, something in a jungle with the time freedom to write books and make artwork and be present with my children, I don't need a million dollars a year. Yeah, I just need, I don't know, if I could make 70 grand a year and not really be doing anything, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> so once we realized that that was achievable, and then we also had to very intentionally say, when are we going to declare it's enough? And right. that was part of it. That was part of coming to that number and saying, this is the last rental. This is the last thing this will be our income that, that we can count on. And then we can go and travel and move around the world and do it, you know, 
comfortably. We don't have to be lavish. We don't need fancy, you know, a Tesla or a Jaguar. I don't need a mansion, but it's really just the lifestyle. So, you know, the thing that I'm hearing, and I really want to reiterate this for people that are listening, um, you want to be happy. And that reminds me of, and I don't remember if this was somebody famous that did this or if it's just an illustration of a little kid. They said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, happy. And they're like, no, 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 no. You got that wrong. They're like, wrong choice. Like, we all just want to be happy. I think we all, like, yeah, I want to be happy. I want to be in connection with people. Uh, I want to feel like I've had an impact. I want to matter. Um, but $2 million, $20 million, I'll take happy. Exactly. And, and you know, and there's plenty of study, studies to back this up that the people with $20 million, they aren't necessarily happy. Right. So, you know, can I just be content? You know, part of happiness is just that contentment and gratitude. So, you know, we've really worked on that. I mean, (laughs) we listen to a lot of personal finance uh, podcasts and audiobooks and things like that, but a lot of uh, personal growth as well. Yeah. We listen to the same thing at the same time so that we have something to talk about different than his work and the kids. Right. (laughs) It's been just a good relationship tip there. Just read books together and talk about it. But, um, you know, a hundred personal growth books in and, and they all say ultimately the same thing yeah. that you just have to learn how to be content and happy with where you are now. And so we really are. We're, we're not thinking in 288 days, then we're going to be happy. Then we get to get you know, there. We, yeah. Right. When we go to Costa Rica, we'll be happy. Right. Uh, that's, that's not the case. You know, when, when he leaves his job, will he be happier? Yes. You know, <laughs> I hope his boss doesn't listen to this, but you know, yes. he will be happier. <laughs> but yeah. you know, when he's home with the kids and the weekends and we bike around the island and he goes surfing, we're already happy. We're already right. doing the things that we want to do when we're financially free. And I think that that's really key that, um, they call it the FI lifestyle, the financially independent lifestyle. If you can just have that FI lifestyle before you're actually financially independent, right? then you know it's going to probably work for you yeah. rather than just heads down, only focusing on the number and only focusing on the money. And then those people then become financially independent and they're like, well, now what? You know, right. we're just right now we're nurturing the hobbies and the interests and the creative passions that we think we want to have more time yeah. to do later. So, and that's really what it is. We're just buying our time. Yeah. We just want more time to write more books, do more art, play more oboe, go surf more waves, you know, <laughs> see yeah. more countries. <laughs> I think that's so important. I think so much time is spent on when I get this done, then this will happen. Or if I just get here, then my life gets to change. Or if I only, and we're so focused on what we don't have and what we're going to have instead of, wow, things are pretty good right now. I'm alive. I'm breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, I have friends, you know, I have community Uh, and it's hard for a lot of people, I think, because I think in this society, we're often taught, or at least I was, that I am my accomplishments, that I am my bank account. And, or my stuff. And my stuff. And then to I mean, move past that. 
everything you just said just made me think of Black Friday. Yeah. You know, we spend Thanksgiving sitting around the dinner table talking about what we're grateful for. Right. That we're grateful for all the things that we have. And then the next day, everybody rushes out to go get the I things. I need this. They I need have. this. I need this. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. That's so true. Do you ever have any doubts? Like, do you ever, st- like, oh my gosh, we shouldn't have done that? Or, like, or now it's smooth sailing, everything is always perfect? Or do you sometimes wake up and go, are we. Are we doing it right or was that the right choice? Like I, I just – for our listeners, I think some people – like for me, I still find that I have blind spots. I still find that, uh, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen um, when it comes to the finance stuff because I feel like I've got it pretty dialed in. But yeah. I still make mistakes. I still make bad choices. Um, I'm trying to think. We've made some bad stock picks um we've learned the hard way <laughs> okay <laughs> stocks especially regarding just cherry picking stocks yeah. that you think you have a hot tip on we have been that person <laughs> okay <laughs> and uh it was an expensive lesson to learn but i'm glad we learned it early on that's good um yeah um <laughs> yeah i've got some funny stories around that and um i'm trying to think you know my husband gets anxiety right before we, we purchase an investment property both times. Um, he really, I mean, it's just like three weeks of pure anxiety for him because it's a large sum of money to put right. down and you don't know if it's really going to work. Right. And so I think we're, we're kind of in that right now and maybe coming feel a little bit less right, like today, but you know, we have this next investment property and it's a beach cottage mm-hmm. and not a beach condo. And so we know the beach condo works because we have one of those, but it was nerve wracking before we got it because we didn't know. You know right, we're, right. We're just, it's, there's a little risk there. We interviewed people that we found doing it and asked them to at least give us percentages if they didn't feel comfortable giving us numbers yeah. to see like what, you know, what kind of occupancy rate are you getting? We've got on Airbnb to look at people's calendars and see how far out in advance people are booking you know what are their rates like and did the math um but you know the beach condo we knew worked and so we we spent a lot of time looking at other condos for the next investment property and then we ended up switching gears and now we've gotten a little cottage and so now it's like and it's in a different area too it's on the island closer to downtown rather than close to the beach so we don't really know so it's a little nerve-wracking there's there's risk there. Yeah. Um, so are we going to have a 30% occupancy rate instead of a right. 98% occupancy rate? Because it's not right on the beach. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Well, that is awesome. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. I know we're getting towards the end here. And I want to ask, um, what do you? what's the biggest takeaway you want people uh, to get when they read your book? Um, and you know, what is the impact that you really want to leave the legacy you want to leave? You've got this book, you've got another book coming out next year. What, what do you want? What's the takeaway? Okay. Yeah. So the book's called have yourself a minimalist Christmas. And I wrote it because after listening and reading about 30 minimalist books and being in a whole bunch of Facebook groups for minimalists and particularly like minimalist mothers, I had been noticing every fall the same questions. It's like nine pain points that kept coming up every single year to the point where last fall, I almost muted all the groups because I was actually becoming a little annoyed at seeing the same questions being asked over and over. 
And then at that moment, right before I went to go mute a group, I was like, you know, there's not a book about this. There's nothing. These people keep asking the same question because there's not really any guide. Um, We can all declutter all year long and we can all refrain from shopping all year long. But then you have this cultural holiday that is just shoving, you know, transactional gifts down your throat. Right. You know, I mean, the Absolutely. marketing messages ramp up like crazy at the end of every aisle, every other Facebook post, um, I, I, our Instagram feeds kind of morph from being beautiful inspiration. And now it's all Instagram influencers right. with perfect twinkly lights on like November 1st and they've already got their hot cocoa mugs and matching jammies <laughs> and they're already like talking about what Christmas gifts and they have their gift guides on their blogs and everything looks perfect and happy. And and so I knew that I had fallen prey to that. Even in you know five years of embracing minimalism that I would undo all of my efforts yeah, you know, I would not shop all year, and then I would just go crazy right. at Christmas because now I had these children, and I wanted to create this magic, you know, this Santa story, and um, and give them everything they ever wanted. And you know, my one year old who would have been happy with just a box and a ball and a stick, yeah, <laughs> had everything a child could ever want for the next five years of her life, right, <laughs> on her first Christmas, yeah, exactly, <laughs> that she will never remember, right. <laughs> um, and a lot of the questions were like, well. How do I ask my aunt or my mother-in-law or, or my mother to, to stop giving me stuff? I'm a minimalist now. How do I tell her to stop giving me stuff and um, or how to give less? And that was a huge, huge pain point that kept recurring. And so the book does center a lot about that. It starts off talking about the Santa story and the history of how Santa in the U.S. came about. He's less than 200 years old. Wow. He's created by advertising executives at malls like Macy's, for example, yeah. and then finessed by ex- advertising executives at Coca-Cola. I mean, they even created Sprite Boy, who was the little green elf oh, and then okay. eventually became Sprite. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I kind of go through this whole history so that you realize that Rudolph is only 75 years old and Frosty's only 75 years old. Wow. Elf on the Shelf is only 15 years old. And so is Amazon Prime. Wow. (laughs) So, I mean, it's a relatively new story and it was created for the purpose of marketing gifts to kids. Wow. It basically riffed off of this small little thing with St. Nicholas Mm -hmm. and just ran with it and created the story that we we treat it like a religion in a sense. Yeah, we do. So um, I try to kind of shine a light on that. I'm not a Scrooge. I don't say don't use the Santa story, you know, with your children. Um, But I just want to recalibrate it for people. So instead of handing the toy catalog that Target sticks in your basket when you check out. Yeah. (laughs) And that Amazon mails out. And I mean, these things like still, it amazes me. We're having a publishing crisis and toy catalogs still exist. Yeah. You know, but we, we... hand those over to children and say, circle what you want. Or we spend all month long saying, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Right. Go sit on Santa's lap and tell them what you want for Christmas. So instead, shift that focus away from listing out all your wants and focus more on the traditions and the memory-making yeah. aspect. And um, so that's probably the, the big takeaway. But I go through strategies on how to declutter your home and get it ready so that it's more peaceful and so that you have room for the inevitable 
influx of stuff that will come in, right. even if you go and tell everyone not, not to, to buy you things. And then I once people do give you stuff, here's what you do. Here's here's how you show grace and gratitude, and here's the questions you can ask and evaluate whether it's going to actually stay in your house. Nice. And here are some guidelines that you can set up so that you can teach children to expect a little bit less um, mm-hmm. or just set not that's not a good way to word it change the expectations yeah you know so um yeah it, it, there's a lot jam-packed into this it, little book it but. sounds great everybody should read it <laughs> hopefully it'll be the last purchase they ever make <laughs> right. <laughs> right don't buy anything more buy this book and don't do anything else um well meg this is so awesome i would i could talk for another day or two with you about this stuff because i i love talking about money on a daily basis and and mindsets and all that stuff where can people find you on social media all right it's meg nordman everywhere that's nordman with two n's on the end meg nordman on instagram twitter and MegNordman.com for my website and of course there's a tab there that will take you to amazon for the book uh it's uh, largely available through Amazon. I have an audiobook version awesome. that's available pretty much everywhere except for Audible at the moment. That is awesome. And we'll post all that information <laughs> on all of our social media. Okay. And we'll have a link to Amazon so people can go in there and get that book before Christmas, before Black Friday, which um, this will be coming out the week of. Um, yeah, prepare your mindset before the the chaos begins. <laughs> it's almost here. It's probably here, but uh, yeah, get, yeah, get prepared. Well, this has been so awesome, um, and so I'll tell. We'll have people look you up, um, and I, I just want to say to our listeners: don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Uh, and if you prefer to watch our episodes, head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Meg, it has just been wonderful having you on. I'm super excited that you're 288 yes. days away um, <laughs> from financial freedom, um, even though you're already playing the roles and and, and actually yeah. loving life and being happy, uh, which is what I encourage everybody to be able to do this year and look at uh, look at what they do have even though 2020 has been a crazy year to just look back and see all the good things that have come from this and just gratitude um, and happiness. So thank you so much. And uh, I wish you so much success. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah.